Today we get one of Jesus' best one-liners. Render to Caesar what is Caesar's, and to God what is God's. And this would be a great story if it only happened once. Man, well done, Jesus. He seems to do it consistently, doesn't he? This is on par, in my opinion, with his other one-liner when he speaks of, he who is without sin cast the first stone. You remember that story? The woman caught in adultery? Jesus is consistently being trapped by people, and he is consistently finding his way out of these traps with this cleverness that's, like, shocking to us. How does he do this? Over and over again, this, the Gospels are full of it. How does he do it over and over again? Let me first say how he doesn't do it, and I think this is important for us. There's a phrase, deus ex machina. Have you heard that phrase before? It essentially means God from the machine. It's a Latin phrase that means God from the machine. And what it's come down to us in colloquial terms, it's, it's a literary or a, a cinema it's a plot twist, right? So moviegoers or, or readers, if you're an avid reader, you've seen this consistently. It's a plot twist. And what happens is that the main character finds themselves stuck. They're trapped. They can't get out of a situation. It's impossible for them to move. And you as the reader are on the edge of your seat just waiting for something to happen. How are they going to do this? As the moviegoer, this is like the most intense moments of the movie. And then deus ex machina, God, this, this God figure, something outside of the person comes and intervenes into the situation. So an earthquake happens. <laughs> something that doesn't come from the person, but something outside of them. Someone shows up just in the nick of time, or it could be anything. But it's, the key is that it's something outside of the person, of the main character, that saves them. They couldn't do it themselves, and so something outside saves them. That's not what's happening here. It's not what happens in Jesus' life. I mean, I guess you could say Jesus is God, so deus ex machina. Jesus does. It is God that saves the situation. But it doesn't come from outside. Jesus always seems to do something himself. And this is the point. He sees differently than we do. He stands in the truth of things. He doesn't get caught in this dichotomy. Is it this way or is it this way? He says, actually, it's a third way. Jesus stands in the truth. And that's how he sees how to get out of these traps. It happens over and over and over again. So let's first take a, take a step back and realize this is a principle for our life. Jesus is showing us when we get into these traps in our life, when we're tempted to think this or this, don't get caught in that trap. What happens is we get nervous we get, there's like an intensity of fright that happens, and our vision becomes narrow, myopic. All we can see is just what's right in front of us. And we say, well, is it, it's this or this. What is it? i got to choose, and neither of them are good. 
And this is always the most difficult moments in our life. Jesus stands in the truth with complete freedom of himself. His vision is broader. It's not narrow. It's broad. And he sees things with a clarity that's just astonishing. And so he answers from that clarity. So when you find yourself in the hardest situations of your life, where you're tempted to think one or the other, think a third way. What is the third way proposed to me? For example, you're a Catholic, right? Someone comes up to you, you're a Catholic. So are you for gay marriage, or do you hate gay people? Actually, I'm for neither of those. There's a third way. I, I don't condone sin, and I don't hate people. There's a third way of authentic love. You're a Catholic, right? Do you believe in divorce, or do you think people should just live in a loveless marriage? Actually, neither. There's the third way of sacrificial Christian love of self-giving, self-sacrificing love that's hard, but that's where the truth lies. Do you stone her, or does the sin not really matter? Well, neither. He who is without sin casts the first stone. Jesus didn't wait for Mary to show up and save him, or someone else to come in and fix the situation and distract people's attention. He saw the truth, and he answered from that third way truth. Today, we see the very same thing happening in the gospel with this really powerful line. But let's set the scene first, okay, so that you can imagine the Herodians, I'm sorry, the the Pharisees are over here like huddled, you know, plotting against Jesus, and they send their disciples to Jesus with the Herodians. Is that interesting? If you know who the Pharisees are and who the Herodians are, that's very interesting, very briefly, the, the Pharisees are those who oppose Roman rule, and the Herodians are those who are really for it, right? because they follow Herod's rule, who receives his rule from Rome. So what the Pharisees are doing is they're, they're sending this group of people to Jesus and say, what is it? Do we pay the tax or do we not? And here's the thing. They don't actually care how he answers. They don't have any care at all. If he says, yeah, it's right to pay the tax, well, then he's going to piss off these other people who don't want the tax to be paid, who oppose Roman rule. He's going to make all the people mad. It's not going to be a good choice. And if he says, no, don't pay the tax, well, then he's going to make this other group mad that really likes Roman rule. So either way, he's stuck in this dichotomy. What is it? Is it Republican? It's a Democrat. Forget about it. That doesn't matter. Jesus says, give to Caesar what is Caesar's and to God what is God's. He sees right through the trap. So let's unpack that just a little bit. What does that mean? So here's the thing about when we find ourselves in a trap. They're trying to trap Jesus in this theoretical question, in this ethereal world. And he says, give me a coin. Let me see a coin. The truth is always right in front of us. It's the concrete thing right there, right in front of our nose. He says, give me a coin. 
whose image and whose inscription is on this coin? And they say Caesar's. What he does, what's interesting in the gospel, he says whose image and whose inscription, but the words are actually just a little different. He says the image, whose icon is this? And inscription, whose epigraph is this? Right? Those, are, those are powerful words. If you know the answer to those questions, then you know the coin's origin and its owner, and you can give it rightfully to whom it belongs. Whose icon and whose epigraph is on this thing right in front of us? And if you can answer those, then you know who it belongs to. So if that's how you can tell what belongs to Caesar, how do you know what belongs to God? Where is God's icon? Well, we have a really good answer. This is called the Bible. It's a, it's a good book. You should read it sometime. I'm going to turn literally to the very first chapter of this whole book. The very first chapter, if you have yours with you, it's Genesis 1, verse 27. And the author says this, So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. So God created male and female in his own icon. There's probably 300 people here, 350 maybe. You ever thought of yourselves as an icon of God? You are an icon of God. Now, if you don't know what an icon is, what, it's, it's a picture, kind of. They look really weird because they're not meant to portray reality as it is. My favorite definition of an icon is that it's a window into heaven. So you're looking out a window and you see the reality beyond. An icon is a window into the heavenly reality. So when people look at you, do they see a window into the heavenly reality? Do they see God by looking at you who are made in his icon? That's a really, you ever thought of that? There's 300 people here, 350 maybe. There's 350 different icons, different images of what God is. People who image just in a slightly different way than the guy next to you. That's beautiful. The problem, though, is sometimes we can kind of get clouded. We can't really see the icon all that well. Right? What if Jesus held the coin in his hand and he said, whose icon is on this? Well, I don't know, it's dirty. <laughs> you clean it off first and then you can see. So a lot of times, we just have dirty icons. We need some cleaning. Guess what? There's good news. <laughs> we, have the, we have the sacrament of reconciliation. God thought of this before we failed at it. He gives us the solution to be clean. All we got to do is take advantage of it. If you're dirty, go take a shower, a spiritual shower. <laughs> You'll never think of confession the same way again, I promise you. <laughs> clean yourself so that you can be a better version of that icon. You can be that window into heaven so that when people see you, they see God. You are an icon of God. Okay, now whose epigraph is on you? Well, I'm going to turn to the very last chapter of this Bible. The, literally, the la- we went to the first book, and this is literally the last chapter in the Bible. This is the book of Revelation, chapter 22. This is written by John, and he's giving us a picture into heaven. 
He's showing us what heaven is like, and he says this, there shall no more be anything accursed. Right? There's nothing bad in heaven. But the throne of God and of the Lamb shall be in it, and his servants shall worship him. They shall see his face, and his name shall be on their foreheads. Right? His epigraph shall be stamped right here on our foreheads. We'll walk around with the name of Jesus stamped right on our foreheads. That's amazing. That's the first and last chapter of this book. And every page in between here says exactly how that is, why it's so, and how to live out of that. You should read this book if you haven't. It's really good. It's also full of some weird stuff too. It's, it's got some odd things in here. But this is the book that teaches us how to live. This is the book of life. It shows us how we are to be fulfilled. And it shows us our destiny so that we don't get caught looking at the ground. We get caught looking at our destiny, always eyes towards heaven. So if you know the icon and the epigraph, you know the origin and the owner of what that thing belongs to. You're that thing. I'm that thing. We belong to God. Right? So give to God what is God's. Now here's the other thing. I think we are really good about reversing this order. Ask yourself this question. If you're a sinner, you're really good at it. I, I stand here in front of you, both figuratively and literally. I'm the first to say that I'm really good at reversing the order to say that instead of giving to God what is God's and Caesar to Caesar's, I give what is Caesar's to God and to God what is Caesar's, what belongs to Caesar. You ever, you ever gone to Mass and you put in some coins in the collection? Like, good, I, I paid my dues, right? God doesn't care about coins. He doesn't care about coins. He doesn't want your coins. Remember the Pharisee who put in a whole bag of money he wasn't interested in that. He was interested in the widow who gave her whole livelihood and the two coins. He doesn't care about coins. You ever sat in Mass and you're like, okay, good, I've, I've done my 60 minutes on Sunday, or 65 minutes. Man, that was a long Mass. <laughs> you know? Like, good, I've put in my time, or I've prayed my rosary today, or I've done my 30 minutes of holy hour today, or I've checked off my whatever it is I'm checking off. If that's your mentality, you're giving to God what is Caesar's. I think I'll give God this list of things. He's not interested in lists of things. He wants what belongs to him. Now, this is homecoming week, and we had bed races, and we had uh, athletic games. We had people with painted faces. We had people cheering, We're doing the fight song, the alma mater, over and over again. It, there was, like, passion this weekend, right? And I, I'm with you. I'm for that. I think that's awesome. But you ever thought how weird it is that, like, we'll sing the alma, alma mater, all of us, all together, and then at Mass, we, like, maybe we'll have our songbook next to us, and we might sing if we know the words, but not loud enough so the person next to us hears. Isn't that weird? We, we give Caesar our hearts, our passion, our energy, our desires. We give to Caesar what belongs to God. I'm for a good weekend. I'm, I'm for school spirit. Trust me. But 
if you're going to give it to the school, you better give it to God first. So all I'm asking today is that we, instead of reversing the order, we rightly order them. We give to God what belongs to him, and we give to Caesar what belongs to him. And guess what? In the end, Caesar belongs to God. All things are God. You can't escape that. He gave it to us in the first place. So all I'm asking is that we do today, we just rightly order what we're called to do. Now, what I don't want you to do today is to do it because I told you to. Don't do it because the guy up front with a microphone says that you should do it. That won't mean anything to you. And don't do it because it's a law in this book that says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Don't do it because it's a rule. I don't want you to do it for those reasons. All I'm asking you to do is to do it for God because he first did it for you. That's what we celebrate in Mass. You give your whole self to God because he first, and he didn't need to, gave his whole self to you in his body, blood, soul, and divinity for your very life, now and for eternity. Give to God what belongs to him because he first gives to you what belongs to him but by his choice now belongs to us. Now, you're going to be bad at it, I promise you. That's what it means to be a sinner. You're not good at this. So all I'm asking again today is that we just do the best we can. You can't do it perfectly, and if you can, come talk to me afterwards, and I'll cut your hair, and I'll put it in my pocket, and I'll keep it for a relic when you die. (laughs) Or, Or maybe your pant leg as you walk away. That way you don't know. I'll be real sneaky about it. If you can give God your whole self right now, you are perfect and ready for sanctity. You're ready for sainthood. And if you can't, then just today, all I'm asking you to do today is give him everything you can. Do the best you can in giving him your heart, your desire, your past, your present, all of your future, your worries, your relationships, your test tomorrow, whatever it is, just give it to him today. Because in the end, really, it belongs to him. Because you belong to him. That's hard, but let's do it together. Amen? Amen.